Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hello everyone, this is Hugo for a very special episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. This time I'm recording on location from beautiful Venice, Italy. The reason why I'm here with my longtime friend from Australia, Lee Diprose, who is uh, just, uh, I think, his first time in Europe. So he came to visit uh, Italy and France and England, if I'm not mistaken. So, Lee, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, thanks very much for the kind introduction, Hugo. My name is Lee DeProse, as you may have heard. I'm from Sydney, Australia, originally from Perth. Um, but this is my first time in Europe. And I must say, it has been <laughs> an eye-opening experience, to say the least. As a photographer and someone who's really gotten into videography recently, um, Europe is just amazing. My history of um, has been in photography and wedding photography. So I'm used to being outdoors in landscapes and taking landscapes. And uh, it's just iconic. The, the scenes that you see here are just like the postcards. And yeah, I'm, I'm truly, I feel truly special being here. And um, Ugo has been taking us, my wife and myself around for the last five days around so many different places. Um, around Venice and Tuscany and Siena, and it's just mind-blowing. So thanks for the introduction. So you said you started doing with wedding photography, right? This is your specialty, but you also like to, to travel, so to take photos while traveling. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've always had a, a, a keen interest in traveling. Um, I, I think there's... I think when you're in Australia, you feel a little bit isolated <laughs> and there's more to the world and more to see and just experiencing different cultures. And for me, that's through food and through photography. And those really to, to combine to, to get the full experience of travel uh, around different countries. And I've been fortunate when, with weddings. I've done quite a number of destination weddings that have been overseas, um, but most of them have been in Western Australia and um since living in Sydney and Melbourne, um, I've had to give up weddings, but uh, I still enjoy capturing the emotion of people and, and uh, what landscape photography and travel photography in general brings to me. Can you give us a little recap of your tour of Europe? Where have you been to? What's, what countries have you visited? I've been to so many. <laughs> it feels like. No, no. I, I, uh, I flew into London. And um, I've actually stayed with a local photographer there and his wife who just had a baby and they showed us the, the beautiful sights of London. And the whole reason for the whole trip is, is actually combining it with an, my elopement uh, to celebrate my own wedding. So it's been a fantastic journey. And starting in London, we, we went to Paris uh, straight after and explored sort of the, the chateaus around Chambord. Um, and then we did the whole entire south of France. And then we made our way to uh, Milano in Italy from Nice, south of France. And that's where we met up with you, Hugo. And it was a fantastic experience meeting you at the train station. And, you know, I've known you for over six years online on Google+. Um, 
which was a great platform. I don't know why Google Plus got rid of it, but you know, that, that, those were the days, weren't they? On the yeah, that, that's a pity that Google is just shutting Google Plus down because we got to meet so many many people, make so many friends, and uh, but we, we still continue to to keep in touch you now through, through Facebook and other yeah. means. So yeah. it's great. Yeah, and that's where Facebook's been great. So it's been fantastic to keep in touch and. And yeah, when we arrived in Milano, we went down to your local town, Pavia, on the train. And, and then from there, we went to Tuscany and spent three nights there. And it was just magical, absolutely magical. And gosh, if, if anyone wants to go and travel, Tuscany is the place to go. I actually didn't realize how big it was, Ugo. Like when, when you said it was like uh, from one section from driving to another, I was like, okay, yeah, that's really big. <laughs> Um, you actually have to experience it. The light is different. Like it's a diffused light and you get this beautiful farming land. And yeah, coming from Tuscany, we, we uh, went to Siena, which is all part of Tuscany. And from there we went our way, made our way through to Venice. And it's, it's eye-opening. And tomorrow is Rome and then we head back to Sydney. Yeah, if I can may say one thing, I think it's... Maybe a little bit too fast. You need to come back and savor the places more because you fit a lot of places and experience into what was been three weeks. It has uh, been, yeah, less than three weeks. And you know, when we're when we're sort of planning the travel, I, I um, this is the first trip that I said to my my now wife. I said, "Hey, let's go to we'll do, do Europe," and it was up to her to plan the the whole trip. And I said, "Just just plan it where you want to go." But um, don't do too many countries because we, it's it's not it's not good to jump you know countries and otherwise you're staying one night here and it's just you, you don't take it all in. So doing it the way we did it was was just fantastic and we really enjoyed the experience and I got to film my own wedding which was fantastic in itself. So you do a lot of filmmaking and taking videos these days, right? That's your primary form of expression so to speak that's right you know and i must say um i always had an interest in film and tv and i studied film and tv but my path sort of led me down the photography route Uh, i worked in mini labs you know for quite a number of years and um as you know i probably i worked for a imaging wholesaler uh in communications and marketing but um photography has sort of had a bit of a side project almost since getting a a drone um with dji i've got a little spark and that's all i need for what i what i do in my travels and it's allowed me to really express my own point of view and choose any angle obviously legally (laughs) (laughs) Um, not flying any dangerous zones or anything like that but you know having a drone really sparked something excuse the pun (laughs) Um, and I was able to really explore my hometown of Perth and sort of Market River area and then just you know when I'm traveling with my fiance back then and now my wife having a drone just opens up so many doors and you know I'm using the Fujifilm X-H1 to do a lot of video because it's got the stabilizer and that's absolutely perfect 1080p it's all I need for creating my own short films and that's something I really enjoy. You also take a lot of video with uh, mobile phones? Not so much mobiles these days. Um, I find um, the, the quality is good, 
But I think what I'm getting with the slow-mo, and mm. you've got to see me, you know, <laughs> with the camera in the last five days, everything I film is in slow motion except for drone footage. So I'm going, you know, um, for the tech specs out there, for the people that are interested, uh, it's, uh, what is it, um, 1080p at 120 frames a second. And uh, it's, the, the footage is phenomenal. You know, what you can get out of consumer product these days, whether it's Olympus, Panasonic, Canon, Nikon, whatever you shoot, you can just do so much with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, those cameras and, and drones really come of age and enable a lot of people to, to take great footage, if, if, at least if they know what they're doing. I mean, I think you know what you're doing. I've looked at some of your footage just from the, the back of the camera and uh, it's it's really amazing and but you you need a special eye for for video i think i'm really i find it really hard myself to to think in terms of video and so maybe you have some some tips some suggestions for people who want to to take great footage what what they should look out for um, my number one tip watch movies oh. <laughs> no <laughs> no so when when i go to a scene okay i'll give you a classic example um, the way I see a scene is completely different from what a photographer would normally see. Yes, there's a standard composition, I stand here. But for myself, I'm projecting in my mind, I'm using my imagination to sort of almost fly myself up to a different position and imagine what the perspective would be from there. And that allows me to connect the two points together. So for instance, if I'm standing in one spot and then I'm looking up you know, 50 meters up in the sky and thinking what it would be like from there, I will fly my drone from where I'm standing in, in an arc form that goes all the way up to where I imagine. And that can form a dolly shot. And it might not be as dramatic as that with a drone, but it could be handheld, you know, just from one meter to the, one meter to the right of you. You can just sort of move the camera and get this beautiful dolly pan. And that's what video is all about soft movement it doesn't have to be dramatic it ha doesn't have to be fast or slow you can control it the way you see it and post-processing can assist that yeah i see a lot of people that <coughs> probably fail to understand that personally myself i mean uh, thinking that if you if you shoot in video you basically have to move the camera right is that is that true yeah that's right but from my vast experience in in you know t television production and things like that Something that people don't realize is that, you know, while cameras have stabilizers, you don't need to just use your hands. Your body is a, is a tripod and it's also a dolly. So one tip I give to everyone is keep your hands solid. Don't move your wrists. Move your legs and your knees. So, you know, separate your legs um, shoulder width apart and maybe put all your weight on the right toe or your left toe and then move your weight from one leg to the other and as you're doing that move your arms but keep your wrists fixed and that will give you a beautiful transition without any shake all right going back to to either stills or video uh, you've been through different countries you said england great britain and france and, and different parts of italy and each one of them has their own characteristics, their own culture, different food and languages, and the light is different. The landscapes, the cities are are different. Uh, how do you think you can convey the the essence, the nature of a place? What, what do you like shooting that you think forms a cohesive and complete picture of a place? 
So for my own photography, it's a very good question, by the way. Um, for my own photography, it's I'm, I sort of limit myself in the way that I see things. Um, there's an opportunity for me to take almost every lens that you know a manufacturer makes, but you know, just through my work. But I limit myself, and that's what photography is about for me. So when I do travel, and I did plan sort of what equipment I would take. I only took three lenses um, and the three lenses that I took, one of them I don't even use. <laughs> so it's actually, I've got the 16 mil and the 56 mil and the 10 to 24. But um, the 56 mil is what I see and that's how I see. And the light is different. But what I like about it, I try different styles and the style for me is more an abstract style. Um, I'd much prefer a picture of a, you know, uh, I'll give you an example in Venice, rather than a wide scene of a of the classic Vienna shot, um, where you've got the canals and lots of boats. I'd much rather the close-up detail of the front of a gondola with the blurred background of Venice. And to me, that speaks more about Venice and my own experience than a tourist scene. Yeah, I can attest to that. I, I offered you my zooms more than once and you was no no I'm fine with my fifty-six and I saw you using most of the time. The sixteen maybe a little bit, but mostly the, the fifty-six and uh, th that's one thing that I find I, I struggle a lot with and when I photograph with others and they come up with ideas with compositions and uh, the way of seeing is always so different and I was bang my head and think, ah, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Did you ever feel the same? Yeah, absolutely. I felt the same uh, a lot of my life, you know, thinking, oh, gosh, I go out with landscape photographers at, you know, the crack of dawn or, you know, doing some nightscape astrophotography and they're taking these amazing shots and I'm going, gosh, why don't I think of that? Why don't I think of that angle? But at the end of the day, I shoot what, what I'm comfortable with. So, you know, that experience comes from weddings. I'd be, I was shooting Canon um, back at that time and I had the 85mm 1.2 and that was my primarily go-to lens. So I would, I would see everything in a portrait style and I think that's really carried on into my videography and also photography and that's where 56mm on obviously an APS-C size sensor gives me 85mm. So that's why I'm comfortable with that because I've sort of trained my eye into seeing 56 mil so and i think everyone has their own unique vision based on what gear they have would you probably agree with that yeah definitely uh so i mean i'm a very much a zoom user especially when i'm when i'm out shooting landscapes and, and cityscapes i try to keep like my all options open and so on so i don't think i have a very specific view with a very specific focal length and more uh, jumping from one to the other depending on the circumstances. But I'm very much a wide-angle type of person, type of photographer. I love yeah. shooting wide angles, these expensive vistas and so on, coming from being a, a landscape photographer. Mm. So that that's probably, what, not, not maybe not a single focal length, but the range mm. from ultra-wide to wide this is also why I like sh shooting street photography with the 16mm. Yeah, yeah. Right? My, my favorite lens for street photography is the 16mm. 
which being APS-C translates to 24, yep. which is pretty wide, which also forces me to, to get close to a subject. So my street photography style is come up close mm. with a wide angle. That's my, my view, which maybe not cinematic as with a longer lens, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think what you said is right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of typical favorite view and yeah. vision. And, you know, I've seen that over the last five days. Like a lot of your shots have been wide angle and a lot, well, pretty much, I'd say 90% of them have been HDR as well. <laughs> so that's something that I don't really do as a landscape photographer. I do a lot of HDR and that's eye-opening in itself for me. I just love shooting wide open at, you know, f1.2. So that's what it's about. Yeah, sure. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, location and places and countries. I said you've been through uh, Britain, France, and Italy, and different places. That Paris and Nice are very different cities, as far as I, as I can tell, and also a little bit of Provence. So, what, what did you find of, about those those places? Did you like more shooting the landscapes, the countryside, the cities? That's a very good question. Um, I really enjoyed just. Uh, I would I probably say I avoided the tourist areas. So for me, it wasn't about going to Paris and doing the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre and um, the Arc de Triomphe. It was more about, you know, doing the, the less, the, the things that people don't see. So walking down the side alleys and obviously my wife has a shopping obsession. <laughs> so the street photography aspect of it as well and the people. Um, I would I would sort of people watch in a way, and that was more appealing to me than photographing the Eiffel Tower, even though we're on our elopement. Uh, so you know that that to me is more important. And you know in France, I would say it would have to be the countryside. You know, it's it was it was experiencing the local culture through food, uh, photographing the food. Not not sort of an Instagram style, but more like wide open fifty six mil you know, showing uh, just aspects and little bits and pieces that together tell a story. How that? How did that work in a place like Tuscany with those wide open spaces in the countryside? I mean, it's it's a bit harder maybe to, to find details and, and focus on. Yeah, so that that's really another good question. And for me, I actually didn't find it that hard. So with your penchant, your taste for details and I would classify them as maybe as intimate shots how do you find yourself in a, in a place like the, the Tuscan countryside with its expensive vistas and endless fields and rows of cypress trees yeah, oh my gosh that's a vista in itself everywhere you look no matter what place you're standing it's almost a 360 degree view of where do I point my camera but you know I was I, was, I wasn't tempted to grab my wide angle at all and Ugo, I found myself, you know, shooting 56, <laughs> um, where it was, I wasn't looking for, you know, the shots in the distance or anything like that, but it was the small intricate details. So as we're walking, whether it be, you know, checking out some historic mill or whether it was just walking through the countryside, I would look for the small things. It might be, you know, the moss on a tree. And that tree has been there for like 70 years or something. And the moss is infestating the tree bark and the intricate details of that and isolating that and photographing it. Or it could be, 
you know, a water droplet hanging off a fig in the morning. That those little intricate details make up the picture for me, rather than the, you know, the classic scenery shots that you might see. So it's just a different way of me seeing a scene and expressing it. Cool. Uh, now, what about your native country? What about Australia? I know you you live in Sydney, you said. That's right. You've been living in Melbourne, but I think you're originally from Western Australia. Yes. So what characterizes those different regions? What's peculiar of each one? Well, the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, um, Australians are Australians. No matter where you go, they're very friendly people. But I think what separates a lot of the uh, the states is the type of scenery. So Western Australia, for instance, you have the sun setting over the ocean, Indian Ocean. Whereas in Sydney, you get the sunrise over the ocean. So it's very different. Um, you get to get up early in Sydney. That's right. <laughs> you, can, yeah. you can sleep in, in in Perth. That's right. That's right. And there's a time delay, obviously, with daylight savings. It might be two or three hours. So Western Australia, yeah, no worries, just sleep in. <laughs> um, but it still feels early, obviously, when you're in WA. Now, WA is renowned for its southwest um, because you've got within such a sh- short, sorry, within such a short distance, you have Jarrah forests, you have ocean, you have caves, you have um, desert, like if you drive north of Perth as well um, to the pinnacles. Western Australia, it's it's quite a phenomenal region. Now, if, if you've got some time to go there, definitely if you are looking at going to Western Australia, look at two weeks um, at least uh, just for the southwest region alone. The rugged coastline um, you'll find very similar also in Victoria, um, which is obviously Melbourne. And, you know, the Great Ocean Road there is something that's very similar to Western Australia, you just don't have that experience in Western Australia and Victoria that you do have in New South Wales. New South Wales is more about the beaches. You know, you've got the classic Bondi Beach, Manly Beach, Northern Beaches area. You've got the Blue Mountains. But for me, I don't really go out and explore that. I'd much rather be, you know, shooting landscapes in WA or Victoria. So with that said, each state has its own uniqueness and you know, if you're into landscape photography, and uh, if I was going to recommend a place for you, Ugo, it would be either the southwest of WA, Victoria, along the Great Ocean Road, and the Ottaways, where you've got waterfalls, or all of Tasmania. Yeah. So, what about the cities? What's your oh. recommendation for cities to visit? <clears throat> Sydney, Perth, Fremantle, Melbourne. Yeah, the cities in them, themselves always have a different culture. Um, if you like quite quite a, a food culture as well as travel, then Victoria has. Uh, obviously, Melbourne was voted the number one livable city in the world for like five years running um, because there's just that that culture and you know of coffee and food, but also landscapes and travel. Um, there's lots of events and things to experience. Sydney, you've got sort of the harbour, which you would go and experience. Um, And there's restaurants around that. Outside of Sydney, you really have to drive um, and experience, you know, camping and the national parks. They're something that you'd go and explore. And Western Australia is like 
they say it's a big country town. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows everyone. And, you know, it's sort of expanding. It's a flat sort of landscape. Um, you've got a hills area, um, which is about 45 minutes out of the city. You can go and explore that um, in terms of landscape photography. And there's a few waterfalls. And then obviously if you're heading down south, the people get friendlier and friendlier. <laughs> if you're going north, it gets hotter and hotter. <laughs> so um, down south, it gets very cold and you get some beautiful fog, things like that. But um, all in all, each state is different and the people are different in each state as well, as well as the food. So it can be hot, but it can also be cold. What would be the best times of the year to visit Australia or maybe all of them and depending on which part of Australia, I mean, it's a big continent. That's so I huge. guess there, there's going to be good weather at any time of the year across yeah. the whole land. Yeah, so Sydney, uh, Sydney is pretty sunny most of the time. Um, Perth is the sunniest city, capital city in the world. Right. Uh, it has the most blue sky days out of any capital city. So it is hot and dry. Uh, they call it the Fremantle Doctor when it comes in. It's basically a wind in the afternoon that cools the city down because it's coming from the west, um, coming from the iconic Fremantle. So it's like a doctor. It just cools the whole city down. Um, but um, I would go to Perth, obviously not in winter. I'd definitely go in uh, – oh, if you're into landscapes, maybe January, February, uh, mm -hmm. around there. Otherwise, you could go in sort of October. That's quite a nice area to time to go. Um, I just wouldn't go in the really hot summer months of December. Um, Australia has very harsh light. So something that I bought here in England, uh, well, something I bought in Europe is a lot of uh, circular polarizing filters or neutral density filters. But you know what? I actually didn't need them. <laughs> It's such a soft light here. Um, and I actually remember a remark from Stocksy, an agency, and uh, they were saying to the local photographers here in Australia, uh, we can't accept your photos because they're too harsh mm -hmm. and they've never really experienced the light. So they're not quite sure. It's a different style of photography. And you'll see a lot of Australian photography, especially with portraiture, is quite contrasty. And that can um, be experienced in the landscapes as well. Yeah, with contrast black and whites and shadows okay mm. uh well actually you, you are here in europe at october november which i mean the, the these are the months where the light here is softer because the the sun is also quite lower on the horizon during the, the whole day but places like south of france or even tuscany in, in the middle of summer the light can be pretty harsh and pretty hot mm -hmm. as well okay uh and also you know i know you you've been to uh more than a few times to, to Fiji. Yes, yeah? that's right. And uh, to us Europeans, it looks like it's in, literally the, the other side of the world. It's <laughs> unreachable. I mean, yeah. Fiji, how, how do we even think of getting there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe for you, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a bit closer. So do you like those islands? And uh, would you recommend to people to, to go there? What's to see and photograph there? Well, definitely if you're going to Fiji, underwater photography is another whole realm to experience astrophotography. Mm -hmm. So think about the non-traditional sort of photography that you might experience. Um, in terms of um, landscapes, think blue skies, circular polarizers, neutral densities, anything like that, you're going to get great shots. Um, but for me, Fiji is great because 
the, of the drone footage. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you've got these paradise islands like, you know, Castaway Island. Um, I'd sort of base myself on Manor Island and go, you know, to all these other different places. Um, and at the end of the day, just shooting aerial stuff is what it was about for me. Those, that, that vivid water, you know, I was shooting any Fujifilm shooters out there would know that, you know, the Velvia film simulation, you shoot the water there in Velvia film simulation and it just pops. There's, there's nothing like it. So that's what gets me back there. How long does it take to, to get to Fiji from uh, Sydney? I think from memory it's around about four, four hours. Mm -hmm. So it's actually not that long. You know, it, it takes almost five hours to get from Perth to Sydney and sort of four hours on the way back because of the tailwind. But um, Fiji, once you're there, it's, it's breathtaking. It's amazing. Pretty much the same time it takes for, for me to say go to the Canary Islands. Okay. It's about four hours. Yeah. Only the Canary Islands are nothing like Fiji. I mean, they, they can be beautiful, but <laughs> I can imagine it's a whole different game. But, you know, what, what really annoys me, Ugo, is that it only takes you three hours to go from Pavia uh, to, to Venice. Like, I mean, I hear that and I just scream inside because I'd be here every weekend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's incredible. But, you know, it comes down to the fact that you, do you really explore your own backyard? Do you need to go over to another country? Do you, you know, why not just spend like a public holiday or a weekend exploring your own country? Because there's people that travel from the other side of the world just to go and see what might be at your doorstep. Yeah, I can say we are pretty lucky in that respect to, to have so much uh, art and history and culture, just uh, especially in Europe. I mean, and, and even so many different countries like France, Switzerland, Austria, and Spain, and Portugal, and Germany. They're very close, and nowadays we got cheap flights to go anywhere. It's really on a, on a spur of the moment. You can say, I want to do a weekend in Berlin, or a weekend in London, or Madrid, and, mm. and just just go, yeah. or take a train, or, or a bus, and, and so on. We, we, we have this advantage. Yeah. If I can actually give you a good travel tip, okay. um, it would be Google Flight Alerts. <laughs> it is incredible. Like... I was reading up uh, the latest sort of thing on online in marketing is, oh, sign up to our agency and tell us where you want to go and we'll send you details of when the cheapest flights are. You know, all those sorts of things are just using Google Flight Alerts. So if you sign up, tell the Google what your favorite destination is and it will tell you the cheapest flight and give you an email alert when it happens. And when it happens, just book it. That's my advice. Cool. Very good advice. Okay, so I think we should... Be about to, to wrap this up. Uh, I would like to, to give you a bit more time to explore Venice because uh, you've been here one day. You still have a lot to see. I still have a lot to see. I've got some, making a little list for you of places to, to go and see. So before we, we say goodbye, uh, we'd like to tell everyone where can people find more about you online? Yeah, well, um, if you're interested in connecting sort of Uh, on a personal level, you can find me on Facebook. Um, that's probably a good way. Lead to pros, L-E-I-G-H, and then D-I-P-R-O-S-E. Um, or if more sort of a commercial, professional sort of sense, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Great. So we'll put uh, a link to your Facebook profile and LinkedIn profile in the, in the show notes. And please do send us some photos from this trip. We will uh, put them in the show notes as well to 
to, to, to show people how you see the world through your own eyes, your own personal vision, as you said. That's a very distinctive uh, thing, That's I right. believe. 356 mil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Uh, that's all for this special episode that we recorded on location here in Venice with uh, Lady Pros. And uh, just like to remind everyone that you can find everything about the Traveling Image Makers podcast at ttim.photo and also on Facebook, on our Facebook group uh, at ttim.photo slash Facebook. And as for me, you can find my website and everything I do at ucphoto.me. That's my main hub. Uh, all the links to my social media presences are there. And as for my co-host, uh, uh, Ralph Velasco, who, of course, could not be with us today. I think maybe today is getting ready to fly to India or someplace like that. I mean, he's always on the, on the road. So <laughs> good for him, but I'm happy to be in Venice with my friend Lee. Anyway, so I was saying, as for Ralph, uh, you can find him at photoenrichment.com or on all social media channels at, at Ralph Velasco or at photoenrichment. So that's really all for uh, this week. Uh, please leave us a comment and reviews uh, on our page, on Facebook or on the website. And now let's get out and shoot.